0: Welcome to Resilient Forward, a podcast created by Baguet Group to educate the public and promote solutions to Florida's most challenging environmental issues. I'm your host, Irela Baguet. I've been a longtime advocate of the environment and the economy. I invite you to join me as we showcase resilient solutions, feature innovative strategies, products, and services from prominent members of the business community, including industry leaders, advocates, and elected officials all engaged in developing and implementing resilient solutions in their community. Thank you for joining us. We're here with Susie Torriente and uh, she's the Chief Resilience Officer and the Assistant City Manager for the City of Miami Beach and which is rising above and we're very excited about talking to you today number one because we're celebrating women's history month and we want to highlight women doing amazing things in sustainability and resilience Mm -hmm. so thank you for joining us susie thank you for uh, having me on your show again it's nice to see you nice to see you too (laughs) (laughs) anyways um i've always been curious on how you know you ended up in this role but really what what does a resilience chief resilience officer Mm -hmm. do because you know that seems to be a a, a trendy title yeah. out there, but um, really it, it's more than just you know sea level rise. It's right. so much more than that. Right. It, it's interesting and it's hard to
1: describe what I do. But I think I think my job is easy for me because I ha- I'm also an assistant city manager and I was assistant county manager for many years when I my time in Miami Dade. And so. In those capacities, I've been able to be a very good convener and a person who could look at things and connect the dots. And that's really what a CRO does. Um, The CRO is the the person who convenes the public sector and the private sector, government and homeowners, engineers and planners. Um, So I see my role as bringing people together. And then how do we actually work in teams, not in silos? How do we look at projects in an interdisciplinary way, not just in our own department? and really start to solve the problems of our times. For us, you know, in, in Miami, greater Miami, what are our problems? Flooding, sea level rise, transportation, you probably sat in traffic getting here, right? Yes, lots you know, of it. <laughs> uh, of, uh, the lack of affordable housing for some segments of our community, the need to have good jobs, right? And uh, so the kids don't leave after college. And so these complex modern problems can't just be solved the way they used to be solved. And so, the way we see it is that, um, you know, at my job as a resilience officer is bringing people together and taking those complex problems and really finding ways to live in, you know, the city of tomorrow. You so, know? It's
0: essentially, it's a very proactive way of, you know, problem solving. It is, You know, actually. you're getting different, you know, even though there are diverse opinions around the table mm-hmm. and different expertise, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're getting probably the best people around, you know, that you have on staff and mm-hmm. even outside, you know, yeah. stakeholders and just like really... Breaking through some some Absolutely. barriers. Absolutely, there's nothing better than when you have that diversity in a room,
1: and you start to see things from different angles, and you can start to understand and and you
0: learn. Right.
1: You know, the, the best part about this job is that I'm having fun and I'm still learning. Right. You know, after so
0: many years of doing government work, you know. And and so that takes me to something that you've been engaged in mm-hmm. with Miami-Dade County and the City of Miami, which is the 100 Resilient Cities. project funded by the Rockefeller Foundation. So talk to us about that, that experience, and Mm -hmm. some of the solutions Mm -hmm. or interesting ideas that have emerged from that process. Sure, sure.
1: So uh, Miami Beach is very grateful to be part of the partnership, Greater Miami and the Beaches, uh, with our friends across the Bay and at the City of Miami and Miami-Dade County. We will be releasing, finally, Resilient 305, which is our strategy. We're hoping to get that out in the springtime. And I hope that um, the folks in Greater Miami will be pleased with it. We spent two and a half years, you know, talking to anybody who would give us the time. And um, I concentrated mostly on the topics of leadership and recovery. Um, Not just responding after like an event after a storm, Mm -hmm. but, you know, long-term recovery and financial resilience. And so there, those are the, the kinds of work that I did in, 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 the, in the plan. Um, we're very fortunate to be part of this network, of a of, of network of 100 resilient cities all over the world. And over this two and a half year process, what's been really good is that uh, we've been able to receive from the network and give to the network. Uh, we're experts in certain areas. We've done certain things that we can share. We can learn from others. Um, You know, we we like to talk about when we had Zika a couple of years ago, I was able to talk to Rio de Janeiro within hours just to ask questions, you know? Wow. We were able to talk to Norfolk when we were trying to understand some of our stormwater program. Uh, And I actually sent my planning director to an event over there. When this mayor and commission came in and they said, hey, how's this stormwater program going? Are we doing the right thing? Well, we turned to to the Rockefellers and they actually funded the Urban Land Institute that brought in nine experts from all over the world to look at our program. And they spent a week here. So we're very appreciative of being part of that network and really being part of those resources. And I think that's
0: going to be successful for us as a community. So regarding the Urban Land Institute, so that basically was a group of folks, independent, Mm -hmm. uh, weren't paid consultants of any kind, that came and took a good look at, you know, your stormwater master plan and some of your flood mitigation mm-hmm. projects that right. you're engaged in to really deal with some tidal flooding that you have every couple of yeah. uh, months or right. so um, that are impacting some of our neighborhoods here in Miami Beach. Mm-hmm. So what was the outcome of, of their, yeah. I, I guess, review?
1: They, their outcome um, to me is very uh, exciting because I think that we, We learned a lot from the exercise and we were able to make certain improvements. They came in and they looked at what we had done and they said, you know what, you acted with a sense of urgency, you had courage in what you were doing. In 2013, when when the the mayor and commission at the time came in and they said, we're gonna raise the stormwater fee, we're gonna do emergency contracts, we're gonna hit those areas that are flooded today. You know, if you remember Sunset Harbor, And if you remember pictures of Miami Beach, the cars were flooded out. There were areas of the beach where there was property damage. Um, And you know what, this mayor, this commission said, no, we're gonna fix that. And they did. As we go through the years and the rest of the program, and as we invest in the rest of the island, we've kind of tackled those issues that are today issues. And, And the pumps are working and the elevated roads are working. What we need to do now as, as we invest in the rest of the city, neighborhood by neighborhood, now we have an opportunity to have an interdisciplinary team designing future projects. And so Miami Beach has really kind of taken an interesting pivot. Uh, the program, when it began, was very engineering-driven, and it had to be, right? Right. Um, now, we've hired a new consulting firm. Uh, we went through a process that we said, we want to hire somebody who's going to be our integrated water kind of master design criteria professional. Uh, We hired the firm called Jacobs. They're coming in. They're gonna look at uh, kind of uh, our overall strategy and go and and really transition from that traditional gray infrastructure. When you go to Sunset Harbor, you see the pump, you see the elevated roads, you see a lot of cement. Right. Okay, when you go into a neighborhood, right, where you live, you don't want it to look like a commercial district, right? Right. right. So, so then the, 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 the design criteria and the design that will be happening in the cities will have not just the engineers designing the, the pipes, but you'll have landscape architects, you'll have environmentalists, you'll have somebody who understands the tree canopy and the benefit. Uh, we'll have um, people who can help us implement our transportation master plan. So much like what I do as CRO, convening different disciplines, the result of that study has helped the city sort of take that pivot and work more in, in a team. Great. The manager created, a, 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 he calls it the ready team. We meet together once a month. We look through the recommendations and work really scouring through those recommendations and, and making changes, either administratively or through our legislative process.
0: And that's great because it seems to me that, you know, yeah, when we talk about battling flooding in, in most people's minds, it's very engineering-driven, very gray infrastructure, pumps, pipes, yeah. all that stuff. And you know, when you go into a, a residential neighborhood, for example, you want to be able to harmonize and use different elements, and Absolutely. even your own natural elements. Absolutely. You know, like you know, Absolutely. permeable paving mm-hmm. and, and so forth. And, and, and we and, learned
1: also that we have to have a bit of a tolerance. If you see a little ponding in your front yard, it's okay right because that's good and that's actually good for water quality which you're an expert at you know but i I think that um it helped us sort of transition um the what the rockefellers also did is they funded last august uh with with columbia university a resilience accelerator program and they actually took five projects here regionally um and put it through a three-day workshop we brought the west avenue project that had been quite frankly stuck um, you know, the residents weren't happy with the design, the commissioners didn't quite know what to do, so the project had been stalled. And I thought, wow, okay, so here's a thing called a resilience accelerator, and here's something that's stuck. Well, let's stick that in the accelerator, <laughs> right? Yeah and see what happens. <laughs> let's fast track this. Right. So so what we learned from there was that well we brought the interdisciplinary team, we listened to the neighborhood, we actually wrote down all the neighborhood concerns and, and put them on the wall for the three days. And one by one we said, okay, they want this. We can do that. They want this. It's not gonna work. And why? And so it became very transparent. We heard you. We can sh- do this. We, we're gonna have to not do that. And so what we did was we actually kind of redesigned the, par- the, the street a little bit. And it had a, a 60-40 um, sort of split in terms of 60% vehicle, 40% uh, for the pedestrian. We actually made 60 for the pedestrian and shrunk the the vehicle, the vehicle uh, lanes. We created bioswales for more of that green infrastructure, and so we were able to do that because we were three days locked up talking to each other.
0: Well, and and you know, I I work with a lot with the public, as you know, mm-hmm. and what I love about that process and what you're describing is that essentially you're designing with your neighbors, Absolutely. with your residents, sure. and and I think that creates more of a buy-in and more of more of a, an educational. Approach for both sides, Absolutely. you know, because the worst thing to do is for government to come in and you know Stick something in your neighborhood that you didn't even know was gonna happen. You're right, you know, so right. So I, I think that's great and, and, and we're th-
1: learning from it. Learning we're from we're it. actually um, uh, We're actually taking that process and we are uh, going to really institutionalize it for all future Capital improvements and neighborhood uh, issues. That's fantastic. Yeah, so very we're exciting. Well, congratulations so, on that because
0: I know that. Yeah. You know, then you're you had a, st- a stuck project that not,
1: not stuck anymore. Very excited about that. Great. So, um, the, since the you know some people may say oh two and a half years working on a strategy, you know we're planning and doing at the same time. Um, we have a lot of you know I, I wear two hats as an ACM and CRO, so there's a lot of things that during the planning process we've been able to learn and implement. And, um, and we'll sort of embed that moving forward in the strategy.
0: And what's great about your role is you're assistant city manager, so you're also dealing with all sorts of you know, different mm-hmm. departments, but yet you're wearing your resilience hat as well, so you're incorporating a lot of those sustainability okay and resilience initiatives when you go into and talk to transit, for example, Absolutely. or you go and talk to solid waste, mm-hmm. or you go in to talk to public works yeah. or whatever. So, you know, I kinda I can yeah.
1: infiltrate all those different <laughs> subject areas. Yeah,
0: and, and you probably, you know, staff is learning from you too, just mm-hmm. looking at things with a different lens as well. We all learn from each other,
1: exactly. you know, and, and, and again, I think that by sometimes me coming into a meeting and not being the subject matter expert, right, in transportation, I'm not an engineer, but I can ask enough questions to create the dialogue and the learning experience. And that's what I feel my role is.
0: Well, that's great. You're doing amazing things here and, and thank you so much. We're lucky to have you here in the city of Miami Beach. Um, thank you, thank and you. And circling back to you know women in mm-hmm. resilience, um, as a woman in leadership and mm-hmm. sustainability and resilience, yeah. what advice would you give the young woman or, or even, even a student mm-hmm. that's considering going into this field, mm-hmm. um, you know, what do you what, what What would your
1: advice be? Well, I, I talk to students all the time, and just this morning I was talking to a young man who um, is is studying at, at the Harvard uh, Design School, and um, you know what I say is that uh, this is we need the best and the brightest. We need people who are studying this in school to come in and and start working in organizations like cities. Um, I didn't study this. Um, I learned it along the way and kind of make some stuff up along the way, right? <laughs> but that's all right. So. Um, yeah, what I try to do is, is, is encourage people um, to, to really come in, to be open-minded, to be innovative. Um, I always try to encourage people to work for government. I love government. That's what I studied. Um, so I think it's really important to have good people doing good work um, and, and, you know, good government work. Um, and there's a lot of women in this field, actually. I was at a, I was at a meeting yesterday. Um, it was about green financing. And, um, and I was with one of my commissioners, uh, Commissioner Aleman she looked around the room and she says wow there's a lot of women here and i said yeah usually in our circles there's mostly women whether it's a meeting like that or with the climate compact a lot of women have been leading this charge in south florida so it's been very exciting to be a part of that
0: well and i always you know mother nature is a woman so (laughs) 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 kind of i think we kind of like are all attracted to this in one in one form or fashion i think so it is a bit of a passion uh, when you get into this work i'd like to close our interviews mm-hmm. with folks asking one last question and what does resilience mean to you mm-hmm. and yeah. I know it because it, it resilience is a very broad term and yeah. so you know just very, it's very uh, similar
1: to the name of the program when people ask me what's resilience I say it's bouncing forward because if you look at the textbook definition it's the ability of a system or a person or a city to be able to bounce back quickly after a shock or stress but the more that I read that definition, I was like, I don't want to bounce back. I want to bounce forward. So that's my simple definition.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining us, <laughs> Susie. It's always a pleasure. It's great to see you. Great <laughs> All right. to see you too. See you next time. <laughs> so I'm here with City of Miami Beach Commissioner, John Elizabeth Aleman, who is an amazing woman elected official she's doing great things for the city of miami beach and um i have now you know we're celebrating um, women's history month and we decided that we wanted to highlight some women doing great things in the resilience and sustainability space um, but one question is what inspired you to run for office because you know we're, we're living in such a you know, hard time to really run and put yourself out there. But what was your motivation, inspiration?
2: Yeah, it's funny because my, you know, in college I studied finance, and then my career was in software development. Uh, but it just happened over time. Uh, I'm a mother, and I was very involved in my PTA, and because of that, I became familiar and exposed with our local municipal government. My parents were not involved or attentive to local government, so they didn't teach me about it. And honestly, um, I have to admit, maybe I should be embarrassed about it, that most of my life it was just not on my radar screen. But when I started working on education initiatives and had to bring them forward to our Miami Beach City Commission, uh, you know, you always have to sit there all day and kind of hear everything else that's going on before right. your item is heard. And I sat there listening to all the really crucial matters that came in front of the commission, and I had an aha moment of how important the city commissioner seats are and how they really affect our daily lives to a much greater extent than state or federal positions, um, which I believe are very strategic, very important, I'm not diminishing those, but it was an aha how important the local roles are.
0: Yeah, well, you know, they say our politics is local, um, and it's true, you know, I, I do see that, and I've worked with all levels of government, and I do see that, the biggest impact or what you can see right away is you know, local initiatives, local resolutions, ordinances that you pass and, and you see the benefits right away, you know, as opposed to you know, state you know, legislative bill or, or even one at the federal level that takes forever to happen. Um, and you know, city government and local governments tend to move pretty quickly.
2: That's true, in the course of even one term, and here in Miami Beach our terms for city commissioner are four years, and you can uh, do two of those there's plenty of time for you to initiate uh, actions, legislation, and actually see the results in the community. So from that standpoint, it's very rewarding. While I was the PTA president at our local North Beach Elementary School, what's funny is uh, whenever you're in any sort of position of authority, people come to you. And they think you maybe you know a little bit more than, than somebody else. And uh, this was, I would say, around 2000 and nine ten eleven people were already asking me about climate change right and they were worried um, you know about their property values they were wondering if they needed to have an exit strategy for their you know their home which for most people is their nest egg and that's that's scary for everyone and it's definitely scary for uh, parents who maybe thought they were going to pass along the home to their children a little bit about Miami Beach, I think everybody knows the real estate's pretty expensive. It's hard for first-time home buyers to establish themselves in Miami Beach. Right. And so many, many people think about uh, holding on to their, their residential property and passing on to their children. It's a dream that many people have. And here comes climate change and sea level rise and... And we started having to learn when the king tides were coming, which is something we didn't used to have to know.
0: Right, which is tidal flooding for those that are not too familiar. But I I can't imagine anyone not knowing what happens in Miami Beach anymore because we've had so much news coverage about our flooding issues. And, you know, we these are barrier islands. So, you know, evacuations during hurricanes and so forth. But yeah, you know, sea level rise and climate change is is something that's top of mind. You've been a leader. In that um, area as as a city commissioner and um, and just handling you know managing our environmental challenges you know because I call the city of Miami Beach the lab you know (laughs) and you guys have done really progressive and bold things in the city so tell us a little bit about you know maybe some of the things that you feel very proud of that you've done and some of the things you're implementing now that you know could help folks actually hand down their properties in the future to their gen- next Perfect. generation? You know, the, the program
2: started before I was elected and actually was one of the key triggers for me to go ahead and raise my hand and do the hard work of, of campaigning and getting elected, uh, which is uh, definitely daunting, um, but worthwhile. Um, I wanted to be a part of our adaptation and the solutions and making sure that we were all going to be okay at the end, uh, which I really do believe. So, um, so the program, the infrastructure, uh, which is really, I would say like the below the ground, the expanded pipes that the stormwater travels through, um, the pumping stations that force the water through, um, because as, you know, as, as the sea level rise, we've got to actually apply some force to drain the city. Right, because it's a gravity-based system. That's right, mm-hmm. and we can't really do all that much about... Um,
0: the water coming up, because we also live on a sponge, which is an aquifer. <laughs> I like to describe it in that way. It's true. <laughs> I have a little
2: piece of bedrock that I got from Public Works uh, of what our city of Miami Beach bedrock looks like. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it looks like a bunch of straws um, bundled together. It's Mm -hmm. limestone and it's porous. And so the water does come up from below. So the core infrastructure uh, rollout was identified prior to my uh, getting into office. But as I quickly began to familiarize myself with our program and also take constituent sort of calls for help. Feedback, right. There were some um, changes that I have sponsored that I'm really proud of that make the infrastructure rolled out more comfortable and easy for homeowners to adapt to. For example, um, part of, uh, we talked about the pipes and the pumps, but another part of the city of Miami Beach adaptation strategy is to raise the roads. The reason for that is as sea level rises, so does groundwater. And when the road beds are sitting in groundwater, they're degrading. Mm -hmm. And that's why not just Miami Beach, but other cities like Delray, uh, and Miami are looking at elevating the roads and that's to lift that roadbed up out of the groundwater right um, and it's important most people are worried then though what happens when the right of way in front of my house gets elevated you know how how is that not going to flood my right. property and my mm-hmm. home right that's and a big concern and how
0: people. do yeah how do you harmonize that aspect of you that's know right. private property with public property because Again, government is going to take care of your, you know, what, what we call your common areas, which is what we pay taxes for roads, w- roadways, and lights, and, and so forth, and, and, you know, just infrastructure in general. But, um, you know, you own your own property, you're going to have to meet us halfway, I would, say, I would say. That's true. That's true. It is definitely not just
2: a public endeavor, it's also a private endeavor. And harmonization is a key word. We definitely use that word in the city of Miami Beach about how does that public space and the private space blend together in a beautiful way such that when it's done, we still love our neighborhood right. and um, and and the natural environment. So what the first thing I did was sponsor something that I called the residential tie-in. And what that is is it says, if the city elevates the road and your finished floor is lower than that, then the city will pay for all the plumbing to install a drainage infall on your private property if you so permit. And the city will allow you then to drain your private property into the municipal system so that you aren't negatively impacted.
0: That's great. Yeah, That's great. That's a solution right
2: there. It's definitely a solution. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't part of the program. Right. Um, it just it really came to me out of a constituent request. Um, secondly, uh, after that, um, I sponsored an edit where we, we waive any permitting fees. So if the city comes with the infrastructure projects to your neighborhood mm-hmm. and you've got to permit... Uh, whether it's you know, something to do with your driveway or undergrounding or plumbing or anything associated with the harmonization, the city will waive all the permitting fees.
0: Oh, that's great. So okay. that's just so a, that's another help you know, and, and assistance to, to really a vulnerable area because that's basically you' you're, you're, you're providing relief to the most vulnerable first. It's, I'm sure it's right. going to be phased and it's a phased approach. You know, you know where, you know, the flooding is happening now and where people are more, you know, impacted. And then, you know, there are other neighborhoods that are higher and and aren't going to be impacted anytime soon. So, you know, it's kind of like a shared responsibility and a shared, shared, you know, resource.
2: And it's all, you, each property owner is going to have something they have to pay for, whether it's relaying down the driveway or landscaping, something. And so... Uh, Really, we wanted to take away any other investments that that we could, such as administrative fees, so we're waiving those. The next thing that came up for me, and again from a constituent need, is green space requirements. The City of Miami Beach is absolutely trying to increase pervious space, green space. We're, in our new geo bond, going to plant uh, 5,000 new trees uh, to help with this overall sort of water management program. So when the city comes in as part of your harmonization associated with a, with a road raising project, you might have designed your yard and your driveway and everything around old green space requirements They used to be 30% pervious green space. Now we require
0: 50%. Right. So you're essentially being, you know, you're, you're incorporating new strategies, new green infrastructure, combined with the gray infrastructure, your pumps, your pipes, and all that other stuff, storm drains, and and so forth, um, just to create that harmonization. And also, you know, the resident is part of the solution. That's right, that's right, because
2: you know, uh, but not everybody knows that it's really important, as much of the rainfall that can be allowed to to land on something permeable, pervious, and then soak into the ground and become a part of that freshwater lens Mm -hmm. that's underneath the city. That's what allows all of our green assets to thrive. right We really do need that freshwater lens to keep the, the
0: salt water um, right out, out, out of out our aquifer out. because yes. you know the, the rain water does we, we want the rain we welcome the rainwater because it recharges our aquifer. We've it's fortunate to have plentiful you know water supply potable pot water supply here in South Florida. right.
2: So one of the things I sponsored is if you're old, driveway design and configuration meets the old green space requirements but not the new expanded green space requirements. If the reason you're having to modify your yard is because the city is coming through with a um, stormwater infrastructure, road raising type of a project, we're going to let you kind of off the hook. We're going to grandfather you in to whatever was previously approved and not make you meet the new code. And that's really just to... um, to reduce some of the pain associated.
0: But if someone does want to, you know, incorporate the new standards, they can certainly do that.
2: Of course, and we would encourage them to do that and help them with it, um, but they don't have to. It becomes their option. Similarly, you'll see I have an item now, and it's gonna come up uh, for a couple of readings in front of the Miami Beach Commission soon to allow the same for structures. If you had a, a shed or a pool house, we've increased our setback requirements. They used to historically be like side setbacks on a residential property, four feet mm-hmm. well now they're 10 and the reason we increased the setbacks is because we expect homes to be built now High elevated and right. higher so in order to keep them from looming over their neighbors we increased the side setbacks but now let's say you've got to harmonize and you've got some older structure maybe your garage mm-hmm. that is four foot setback we're not going to require you to demolish it and be unable to replace it because of the new setback my hope is that my colleagues will support me in recognizing that in that case, we're going to let you grandfather in according to your old, you know, permitted structure. That's not to say that if somebody built an unpermitted structure oh, sure. that was never allowed, you right. know, that they're going to somehow. Well, um, codes are codes that you got to follow that's those. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but if it was,
0: well, you know, properly permitted and all of that, my hope is that we'll, we'll allow people to grandfather that in. Back to uh, March, History Month, w- Women's History Month. Um, as an elected official, as a female in, in this process and having gone through an election and having campaigned and everything else and we're starting to see a lot more women motivated um, to run, what would be your advice to someone who's actually considering running, getting more involved in their you know city government or even running for higher office and or a young, young girl you know that is like thinking, should I run for student government, should I not? Um, you know, what, what's your advice, um, because it is different being a female in, in this process.
2: Listen, um, women have some natural um, abilities and, and typical characteristics that we really need in politics right now um, on every level. So uh, I would say the ability to really listen. Um, is uh, and communicate and find that win-win and find common ground Um, those are those are great feminine characteristics that we need more of in politics today and really just that whole nurturing I mean I'm not surprised when I attend a climate or adaptation type of a, of a workshop, uh, as I did this week with the Nature Conservancy and Harvard put on this great How to Finance Green Adaptations workshop. And I looked around the room, and there were all these women, and I thought, well, it makes sense to me, because this is a long-term problem, and we need to be able to look out into the future and provide that nurturing, whether it's nurturing the planet, mm-hmm. nurturing our state, our city, our Biscayne Bay, uh the world needs some mothering right now. And I, uh, I really encourage uh, all of us out there to get involved. It's not hard to do. You know, most of our governmental organizations, certainly the city of Miami Beach, we have a great website so you can learn about all of the committees you can get involved in. the The meetings are live streamed and available online. The agendas are online. We even have in the city of Miami Beach something called MB Resident Connect. Which is an alerting system. So if you put in uh, sea level rise or or storm water, you can get a proactive email before that's ever discussed at any public meeting in the city. Oh, that's great! It's so great. The city won an award for that uh, little tool that we put together, which is terrific. So um, definitely get involved, even if you're not. uh, Maybe I was like appropriately naive to go (laughs) ahead and just go straight for running for commission, Um, and there was nothing wrong with that. It's been. It's been amazing and worthwhile. If you're not really ready to take that step, that's okay. Reach out to one of your local electeds, ask to be involved in a committee, get involved in your local chamber, because the chambers are also tackling these issues from the business perspective. Um, and so
0: just just really start getting involved and in being a part of the discussion. Well, thank you. That's great advice. And I really appreciate you um, taking the time to talk to us. Um, we'd like to end... The podcast with one question: What does resilience mean to you? Uh, resilience means to me being
2: able to take something negative uh, and, first of all, um, sort of absorb it and react uh, and recover and be okay um, and do that repetitively. But use those moments also to sort of leap ahead and and um, and and become more. Uh, more responsive to um, how the world is changing as we go forward. I feel very optimistic for Miami Beach uh, in this regard. Of course, right now, most of when we're talking about resilience has to do with climate change and sea level rise and and stormwater because that's really important to us and and very um, timely. Um, But of course, there's there's more to resilience. Um, I think as Miami Beach looks to the future, we're looking to become really more culturally resilient. I think that some of the engineering has taken a toll on our community um, and made people feel fearful. And my hope is uh, that we can work harder to really instill that sense of hope. And so resilience is all about hope uh, and and a confidence that we can respond and adapt and and, uh, and be even better than we were before.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a great conversation. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. Commissioner John Elizabeth Aleman from the City of Miami Beach. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Resilient Forward. You can listen to other podcasts at resilientforward.com. And follow us on Twitter, at ResilientFWD. If you're interested in sponsoring our show, or know someone who we should feature, please contact us. Remember, our environment is our economy.